Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today, and I am joined as always by my good friend, my business partner, Mr. Jason Neal Johnston Yellen. That's the full delivery. I like it. Full delivery. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, I'm trying to think. Not not that it helps our listeners. Any. Hey, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Easy. Tighten my tighten my belt here. Uh, I was trying to think when you and I actually last met to record one of these. We have been in very different places for a wee while. Well, that is definitely true. Actually. What's funny is where I am now is exactly where I was sitting last time we recorded together. We were in person. That was it. Five weeks ago. Okay. Yep. 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 Okay. Yeah. The end. Last week of April, you and I were together recording. Yeah. And in that time, I have been in Scotland and I have been in Portugal. And now I find myself back in Virginia recording this podcast, which as our masthead will have suggested to our regular listeners, mm-hmm. is a very different kind of podcast for the One Nation Under Whiskey chaps. Well, yeah, because it, it specifically has nothing to do with whiskey. Right. We are turning that W upside down and making it O-N-U-M for this episode. O-N-U-M. Oh, oh, tighten your belt. One nation under mezcal. Look at you. Look at oh, you. Oh, snap. I was trying to, I thought there was like a M-O-N-U-M, like monum. Like, is that a, is that a Scottish thing? <laughs> While well, yes, it is. It's certainly not what I was going for in this instance. <laughs> is that like a monochrome of whatever monochromes are? Um, what's a monochrome? I, I, like I, I know he, Paul Simon's one- Kodachrome. Do you? I know Graceland. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you mean monochrome or do you mean pneumatic? No, no, no. Like uh, if I had a, a, a monochrome of evidence, oh, um, a small amount. <laughs> Am I pronouncing it incorrectly? Modicum. It's not modicum. Mo- that's the first poop that comes out of baby. Oh, no, that's... Uh, <laughs> what is that called? <laughs> it's certainly not modicum, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> The first poop out of a baby. Welcome to One Nation Under First Poop Out of a Baby. It's too long for an anagram, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, I, I know the word you're trying to come up with. It sounds like, uh, yeah, sounds like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you all like, the things I think it sounds like. Like, yeah. Uh, Meniscus, no. Meniscus. Damn it. <laughs> Uh, all the all the listeners are saying, why don't you just Google it like we're doing right now? Well, because we're using our laptops to record and our phones to see each other. It's it's a whole process, listener. It's not as easy as that. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Oh, I tell it you what we could thing. try, though. Ooh, what could we do? Alexa, what's a baby's first poop called? Here's something I found on Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, is she going to play a song? Meconium. She got it right. <laughs> oh, now she's giving me much more information than I want. <laughs> Describing its flavor. 
Okay, can you turn her off? She's interrupting our podcast. That's her. She's done now. She's good. Yeah. Alexa, yeah. thank you. Of course. <laughs> of course. So, <laughs> where are we going with all this? Oh, right. So, One Nation Under Mescal. <laughs> wow, that was a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> it is good mescal, but I'll tell you that much. Yeah. So, so let's let's set the stage because yes, sir. Because when I think about our conversation today, it's it's very different than what it was meant to be. And by that I mean, you know, I went down to Oaxaca to to work on this mezcal. And actually, the the story starts before then. The whole reason that I went down to Oaxaca was after we bottled our very first Whiskey Jubilee Wild Turkey cask, we mm-hmm. took that empty cask and sent it down to Del Amigo Distillery in Oaxaca, where Fidencio is made. And uh, our good friend, uh, Arik Torin, helped us with that. And, and we filled that cask with some Espadine mezcal. And I'll get into what Espadine means. And there's some other words out there like Tobala and Madraquiche and, and some other things. But we oh, filled it with we, Espadine. Josh, we, we need to change your setting. You're on the Spanish setting. Can you just flip your switch there? Si. Uh, un momento, por favor. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is my laugh sounds like an English laugh. Oh, the... Do Spanish-speaking people have a have a laugh time? Do you want to go down this path? <laughs> I don't. I don't. Like but my guess it's something like racist. El Ha Ha. I think it's El Ha Ha, and the women say La Ha Ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to, to back you up a little bit, uh, yeah. I had been, this was all last summer uh, for, for the visit, but I, I'll come back and say a little bit about the visit in just a second, but... Uh, just for the benefit of our listeners, when you and I conceived of sending an empty wild turkey barrel from mm-hmm. Kentucky to Oaxaca, we didn't think it would become as complicated as it did. It was not particularly easy sending an empty whiskey barrel across the border. No, in, in fact... You know, we a we were dealing with the Fidencio people, and then we had to deal with logistics people on the U.S. side, then logistics people on the Mexican side of yeah. things, and trying to get all four parties on the same page when we don't speak logistics language. Yep. It it just yeah, it was not easy. It was pretty mental. It took us. Oh, and then if you remember, even once we got it across the border and mm-hmm. we had it heading towards Oaxaca, it couldn't reach its final destination because they'd closed off roads or what have you. There was... Oh, that's right. The roads in Oaxaca had been shut down. I'm trying to remember why. Oh, it was, it was some sort of like a, a school strike. Like Oaxaca is a big university town and there was a massive strike going on at the time and just no roads in or out were really open. Yeah, it was crazy. So even even after we'd cracked all the logistics language, 
we still were waiting on them reopening roads. It was, <laughs> it took us weeks and weeks, and I even think we measured it in months, getting an empty whiskey barrel delivered to the distillery. Yeah, I think there were a couple times during that whole process where where I exclaimed, Adios mio. I feel like you've been busy watching telenovelas in preparation <laughs> for this podcast recording. Actually, my uh, my friend Sonny, he's Puerto Rican, and and when he was young, he got hurt. Like his, his bigger brother or something he accidentally hit him with a baseball bat or something like that. And all he remembers is being hit in the head with whatever it was. And as he's falling, everything is going in slow motion. And his mother is running toward him, and he remembers in his head this slow motion of her going, Ay, Dios mío. <laughs> it's one of my favorite sunny stories. That's a good one. It's a good one. So, 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 um, so, yeah. so I was backing us up a little bit there to the getting the cask over. To the yes. to the distillery, yes, yes, yes. Um, yep. and then once things were going great, and we got the uh, would we call it espadine? Would we call it new make spirit? What what did we put into the barrel? What what word would best be used there? So the producers would call it uh, hoven, 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 uh, hoven, which, which basically means unaged. You know, in tequila, you might see it as silver or blanco, but hoven, it, it's it's the same thing. It's just unaged spirit. Gotcha. And, and and the thing is, you know, in the Scotch whiskey world, you know, we talk about new make spirit because you make whiskey, you don't make spirit. But here, as soon as the the agave spirit comes off the still, it's drinkable. And it's mostly sold, be it tequila or be it mezcal, it's mostly sold as an unaged product. So to call it new make spirit, in my mind, implies that this stuff needs extra work, mm. where in the case of an agave spirit, no extra work is needed. Which is interesting because obviously many of us in or whiskey required. circles talk about our enjoyment of new make spirit. And, mm -hmm. and while, yes, that is the label attached to it, and while, yes... It is different from what will ultimately come out of a cask. We certainly think that it is very drinkable and and ready to be consumed. But I, I take your point on it being a different product than what ultimately comes out of a cask. Whereas in mezcal circles, you could very much have your ready-to-drink product come straight off the still, I think is what you're communicating. That's true, and... I would say that while we enjoy New Make Spirit straight off the still, it's not something that we would reach for, right? Where would you reach for it at any given time? Mm -hmm. Or do you enjoy it for scientific purposes? Mm -hmm. No, I've said this many, 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 many times. Drinking Colhoma okay. and New Make Spirit is just a wonderful experience. Agreed, but but I don't just well, I just I don't just drink that when I'm looking for a reason to compare it to say H. Colhoman or other new make spirits or in a tasting that I'm running. Like it's it's just good to drink. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
was an interesting tone. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha, says Joshua. <laughs> okay. So anyway, 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 anyway. So the the Hovan has has uh, went into our cask. Our, so our yeah, so turkey the, cask. Hovan went went into our cask, and we wanted to mature it for at least nine months. Mm-hmm. Once you hit the nine month time frame, then you're then you have a product that's called Reposado. There you go. And, and now Repos, yeah. No, go on. Yeah. And uh, so Reposado. And, and so Reposado is sort of a mildly aged agave spirit. Yeah. And and it was at that point, that nine, ten month point, that you and I were scheduled to go down to Oaxaca and see yes. the disgorging of the ex-wild turkey barrel. Oh, hold on, I got a knock at my front door. Let's see if it's a delivery. Oh, I like deliveries. I'm not expecting anything. Oh, 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 it's the FedEx man. I'm coming. Okay, so what were we saying? So it was at that point. After those nine or ten months, you and I were scheduled to go down, see the disgorging of the cask. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, to me at least, once they put the Hovan into the cask, it has okay. a paper seal over the bunghole. Oh, yes, yeah. And, okay, I should say that better. There's a paper seal over the bung in the bunghole. Uh, it's not just... It's not just paper over the top of it, right? It's not just straight up TP. (laughs) And and that paper holds all the liquid. It's rather amazing. Uh, (laughs) But but what they were saying to us is they cannot pull samples along the way. We couldn't taste it at three months, six months to see how things were progressing. Right. Once you put it into cask, you've got to wait at least nine months for it to become reposado. And then what happens, you go in, you open it up, they have someone, uh, which I forget the name, there's, there's a specific outfit that has to be there, and it's a government outfit that has to be there to open up the cask for you, and then you get to taste it. Now, if you like it, great, tickety-boo, bottle it. If you don't, you only get one more chance to seal that up hmm. and then you can reopen it again, this time as an Añejo. Okay. And would so, Añejo suggest a minimum of 12 months? It's kind of like, I don't think it's too dissimilar to XO, VSOP, and, and so on, where you have these slightly more generic terms that reference... Uh, perhaps a bit more of an age range rather than an age. Mm-hmm. And I, but I think to become an XO, right, you have to have at least a certain amount of time in the cask, just like to become a reposado, you have to have a certain amount of time in a cask. Okay. Okay. But, but Jason, here's the thing. You didn't join me. 
down in Oaxaca. It was unfortunate, right? We were we were scheduled to be in Oaxaca two weeks after our Great Isla Swim tour. Yeah. Yep. And as regular listeners know, my my dad unfortunately died in that time. He died uh, July thirty one, and I was very much delayed in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And I made it back to the United States. I want to say two days before the Oaxaca trip. Yes. And after not seeing my family for three weeks, it mm-hmm. would have been a bit difficult uh, for me and for them to simply jump on a plane and go to Oaxaca. So, um, <laughs> so I, I told you to stay home. <laughs> <laughs> so I begged out of the trip. Unfortunately, I, it was one I was very much looking forward to. Uh, I'm certainly learning about mezcal. I, yeah. I am by no stretch of the imagination an expert in mezcal. Um, I, uh, I I think it would be a stretch to say I'm even a noob in the world of mezcal. Mm. So I was really excited about learning, seeing, and and one of the things that you got to do on on that trip that would have been so incredibly illuminating was you actually tasted the roasting agave. Yes, yeah. Actually, when you go to Del Amigo Distillery, and I'm sure that this this rings true for, for any of the distilleries down there, they have two different pits in which they roast the agave. Now, the agave roasts for a good period of time. You know, they, they, they take... You know, you know what an agave plant looks like, right? I it's do. this massive, I do. yeah, with all these sort of needly mm-hmm. leaves. They dig it out, and they remove all of the leaves or most of the leaves, and they take that inner part. It's called the piña because it kind of looks like a a pineapple. They chop it up. They put it into a pit with burning wood, and they let it roast, mm. and. That just brings out all of the sugars, all of the delicious stuff going on. And and the reason they had two different pits is they had some seven-year-old plants roasting in one and some 14-year-old or somewhere around there plants roasting in another. And so I got to taste both different plants, and, and I recorded it too. So it might be good to to let people hear that experience. Makes good sense. Let's do it. Oh, that's good. Super. Juicy. Yeah, juicy. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about this, I'm not, all I, did, all I get is sweetness. I'm not getting any of the smoke that you get in the final product. Depending on what part of the piece that you're mm-hmm. eating, because all of that will go into, so we're kind of digging into the inside of it, mm. so we're out on the surface. That is delicious. So I started off eating the leaves <clears throat> of a seven-year-old and then a 12-year-old, and now we're going to eat the core. And this is... Uh, this is the club. Uh, this is the heart. And this is the, the 12? Yes. Oh, that 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 smells nice. Yeah, there's a bit more to it with that yeah. one. It's got that juiciness of, of the leaf. It's so sweet that it uh, kind of like bites the tongue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
This is the type of um, plant that even with your eyes closed you can make the mezcal easily because it's perfect. <laughs> right. You cannot get any mezcal out of that one. Out of that one. Why is that? Because it's too young. Oh, okay. So it just, you can just get a, a little bit. Oh, I see. So it's not as juicy as the other, as the older one. Y este, segurísimo, 100% seguro. But with that one, you can get a lot. Got it. Okay. It's like any other fruit. When it's ripe, it's juicy. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Changes. When it's young, it's, it's good, but you can taste it. An orange, think of an orange. Like right. Still kind of greenish. You get the you get the flavor of the orange, mm. the juice, but when you try one that is perfectly ripe, right, you can feel the yes. difference. So that's what we're experimenting okay. right here. Would um would agave be considered a fruit? I know it's a succulent, but is it a fruit? It's a plant. Yeah. No, it doesn't produce any fruit. Although the juice and the sugar makes it you think makes of you that. Makes you think of that as mm -hmm. a, yeah. Have you have you tasted the the raw tobala or any of the other agaves? And if you did, have you noticed a difference? Like this? Was that, or, or yeah, like that, like that. No, I have No, okay. Every time I've been here, they only have espadín. <laughs> but I would like to try the other one. Jason, I think one of the things that I think would help you or anybody to understand mezcal is to is to understand Oaxaca a bit. Mm, the and the location, the geography, the the town, the, the people, the town, the people, the the culture. Mm. Uh, you know, so first off, Oaxaca is it's it's a bit metropolitan. I mean, it, just like any city, it has its rough parts. And it being Mexico, there are probably more rough parts than in, than in many other cities, at least, you know, that we would be used to here in, in the U.S. But when you go into downtown Oaxaca, it's, it's quite beautiful. And the culture seems to be revolving around the agave plant. Mm -hmm. that, that makes sense. Right, where, where it is, as with Isla in Scotland, so much of the economy is based around Scotch whiskey production. A lot of the economy in Oaxaca is based around mezcal production. Mm -hmm. So all around there are these mezcaleros, which are just different mezcal bars. And each mezcalero has their own private picks. Mm. That sounds familiar. So, right? <laughs> you know, where so you go into one and, and and this is where he says, you know, you go to the bar and he has uh or she, because there's some um female run mezcaleros, uh, where this is their Espadin mezcal, this is their Tobala mezcal, this is their Habali mezcal. And Typically what they're doing is they're going to local distilleries and they're buying small batches and bottling it under their own bottle and saying, this is, this is our pick, right? This is our batch specifically for us. 
And then you go around and there's these other shops that serve this product called pulque. Did I tell you about pulque? I don't think so. It doesn't doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. Pulque? So pulque. Oh, pulque. Pulque. Okay. So pulque is a a drink. I think the the closest thing that I would equate it to is an alcoholic kombucha. Okay. Right? So first you've you've got this agave plant. Now this is something that is drunk all day, all around everywhere by a lot of Oaxacans, and it can't travel far. You can't there's no preservatives you can put in this. It's very local to Oaxaca. And it's adults only. If you get it young, there isn't a lot of alcohol in it. Okay. I don't know if younger people could or allow are allowed to drink it, but as it gets older it becomes more and more alcoholic. But basically what they do is they take this agave plant and the agave plant, when it wants to reproduce, out from the center comes this long stem where now its its own reproductive organs come out. Always the penis with you. <laughs> so you remove the penis. <laughs> and where that was growing out of, you scoop out all of the all of the the agave bits mm-hmm. and the agave plant starts releasing this sugary agave water kind of like what you would do with say like a maple tree right where you're where you're going to sugar and you're going to make maple syrup but it starts creating this sugary agave water that people ferment and they start selling it and it's just a national drink wow a national drink yeah. of oaxaca uh, yeah <laughs> A city drink, <laughs> but um, a local delicacy. Yeah, but you know, going to these mescalaros, I was kind of reminded of going into a pub at at you know any Scottish town that we've been to, whether it's in Elgin, whether it's in Bamore or wherever, and you go in and there's music playing, right? And there's just a guy with a guitar and all of his friends, and they're singing together. And you start to get the feel that this agave plant, in in its different forms, whether it's mezcal, whether it's pulque, whether it's just part of the uh, the look of the city, because it's growing everywhere, um, is is it's really. Precious yeah. to the people uh, of Oaxaca. Sounds wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Um, I must get down there in a future yes. trip and experience yeah. this for myself. Yeah. So going into it, I had very little experience in mezcal. And while you may be a newbie, I'm, I'm also a newbie, maybe not as, as much of a newbie as you are. Yeah, I feel like you've had a, a couple to maybe a few years of, of experience experiencing it and and kind of working your way through the beginner knowledge whereas I've I've had people put it in front of me and I've I've enjoyed it in within the moment but I haven't yeah. pursued it in any way and and that is definitely now starting to change for me I think that's the the biggest difference between you and me right now is you've already changed your mind and are looking into it whereas I'm only just starting to to begin to look into it. I want to transition over to my conversation with Arik where where really I was trying to get 
from him uh, a bit of the history of of mezcal and and how it got around. But before I do, I know you and I are sipping on the same thing. We most definitely are. And the first time that I and, and what by the way, what is that thing? It's our it's a reposado cask, the the espadín. Goodness gracious, it's just got so many layers to it that makes me incredibly happy. Yeah. Now, when when I first introduced you to Mezcal, it was a Del Maguey product and it was their Tobala. And you thought it smelled and tasted like a hangover. Yes, yes. For anybody who knows a Caroni rum, I feel the same way about Caroni rum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, just just a heavy, heavy dankness to it that when Mm. you wake up that following morning and your head is just throbbing and you're in the fog, that same level of weight and dankness uh, came at me from from that mezcal and and several mezcals since. But but this one, this, this has more fruit attached to it it has a subtle smoke going on, a subtle roastiness going on, and you know it's still immediately recognizable as mezcal. Oh yeah, yeah. But but for me, it just had those many layers to it. You you'd said it even before we started recording. If you could candy butter, yes, that's yeah, what I mean, this would have on the nose. I'm assuming that that is cask influence. Because I've had the the Fidencio, you know, the regular Espadine, and it's quite nice. Mm-hmm. Like everything that you'd mentioned, that fruitiness, right? That delicate smoke was lovely layers and even a bit of like a salty umami thing going on. But now with this cask influence that everything has become kind of candied and that butter just comes through. Did you tell me previously yeah. that you actually... Upon disgorging, tasted this with the distiller? I did. And do we have his thoughts on wax? We do. So before we go into my conversation with Ara, it's probably a good idea to go over to Enrique Jimenez, who his title at Del Amigo is Maestro Mescalaro, Hmm. which maestro, right? Master, (laughs) right? Basically the master distiller. Before we go over to him, one thing I want to point out and this was a bit of a cultural thing, and this is something that Arik had suggested to me, is with every bottling he does of his mezcals, of the Fidencio, he puts Enrique's name on there. It's, it's a bit of an, something to honor the master t- distiller to say, this is the person who created this. So on our label, you know, it says Fabrique de Mezcal Fidencio, and then Maestro Mezcalero, Enrique Jimenez. So it's it's a nod to the master of this of this spirit. Awesome. Well, let's take it away, Maestro. This is it. This is the first time this. This is going to see the light of day. Yeah, it's exciting. This was a, a, a wild turkey barrel. It was. So this was a nine-year-old wild turkey. Dame permiso. So we got a. A bamboo valinch. Look at that. Nice color after nine months. Is it nine months? Yeah, it so should be about nine months. Cuántos meses por este? No. Diez meses. Uh, sorry, diez meses. Nine months. 
months. Ten months. Ten months. Okay. It's almost like candy. It's got a sweetness to it. But that that saltiness we talked about earlier is still there, which I like a lot. Este lastima menos la boca. Este. It right. goes smoother, no? Mm-hmm. Through this. Yeah. This is the color. I like the color. Yeah. I like the color. Yeah. I like the color. Move on to my conversation with Arik, which is going to be a little longer than than some of our other other conversations that we've put up on here so far. I thought I should probably explain to you and to the listeners who may not be so familiar with mezcal, you know, some of the language. Right? I I mentioned espadín, I mentioned tobala, I mentioned madraquiche and Habali, and these just all, for people who don't know, could just sound like I'm saying gibberish Spanish words. As opposed to your usual gibberish English words. <laughs> you mother bleeper. <laughs> so here's the thing with mezcal. When it comes to producing mezcal, it is the complete opposite to producing aged product, be it, let's let's say, complete opposite to scotch whiskey, where when it comes to scotch whiskey, they have three ingredients, right? Water, barley, yeast. They all use the same barley strain. They all use the same yeast strain. Their water may be a little different, hard water, soft water, whatever, and they, they overcome that through through distillation. And then what they really focus on is this is the bourbon cask matured stuff. This is sherry cask matured. This is rum cask, etc. First fill, second fill, and so on to get different flavors, right? Mm-hmm. With you so far. When it comes to mezcal, being that the vast, vast, vast majority of it is unaged, what they have to pay attention to is the front end. The agave is going to be different, right? The yeast is going to be different. Arik said, we don't inoculate any of this with yeast. We're using ambient wild yeast to get the fermentation process going. So what are they going to do to help focus on the front end? Well, you have different types of agave. One type is espadín. That is a cultivated agave. It's grown everywhere and it's farmed. Then you've got Tobala, which is another type of agave, uh, Habali, Madraquiche, um, Americano, Mexicano. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of these different types of agave that produce different flavors. Mm-hmm. And then you've got different ages, <laughs> right? Just just like we heard uh, when I was tasting the, the roasting agave, the seven-year-old tasted different than the 14-year-old plant. And the older you let that plant age, the more different that mezcal is going to be. 
And it was interesting to find that, you know, Enrique said, well, I'm mixing the seven-year-old with the 14-year-old to get these different flavors going on, right? Where in the Scotch whiskey world, we would say, well, we started it off in a bourbon cask, then we finished it in a cherry cask. <clears throat> they don't have the luxury of casks. They have, yeah. the, the, you know, what they can do with the plant. It's the spirit of the still based on the yeah, plant yeah. that was the raw yeah. ingredient for that spirit. Yeah. It, you might be about to cover it in your conversation with Arik here, but still shape, still size. So that is covered somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I'll do my best to try to get it in here, but I had about 12 different audio yes, files. Yes, you did. So. So, so dear listener, if it makes it in here, that means I've done some, some searching, uh, and I'll throw it in. Uh, but if not, uh, at least as it pertains to Del Amigo, they're uh, basically 300-liter copper pot stills that are encased in brick. So you actually can't even see the stills. All you see is the line arms coming out the bricks. And the stills are direct fired by wood. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. 300 liters direct fired by wood. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, so... So, but, yeah. so one more thing before you... One more thing before you go over to your conversation with Harik. You have a propensity for speaking with people and recording in cars. And this interview is no different. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, at one point, Arik says he's trying to think through some math, if I remember correctly, and then says, I am driving right now. You, <laughs> yeah. where, where were you heading to? Where were you heading from? <clears throat> what's, the, what's the context for interviewing Arik during the drive? Right, right. So this is perfect. So we had just left lunch, and we were at one of his favorite uh, places, and it, it was very cool. The lunch place was great. So you you order, uh, you know, a quesadilla or tacos or there's other types of tortilla-wrapped things that, that really, you know, typically don't show up in any Mexican places up here. <laughs> <laughs> And you get to watch them actually make the tortillas right there. And it was just wonderful. Anyway, so we were, we were leaving lunch. We got some nice quesadillas. I got some with uh, some hongos, which are mushroom, and some with Oaxacan cheese, which is the best cheese in the world. And, and we were headed to the distillery. Aha! It all becomes clear. It's clear so now it's as Jovan. Jovan. No, I was just talking about my friend Hovan. Oh, oh, right. Is is he is he part of your uh, your? He's, is he's a he's a groundskeeper. He's with uh, Cecil, right? Breaking Cecil? breaking news. My brother wants you to know my breaking news. Oh, what what is it? I had to release the grounds crew. <laughs> is that code for something? <laughs> do you do that in the shower, or do you do that? <laughs> It's all about the disgorging with you. <laughs> so Cecil is looking for employment if anybody is uh, is in the market for a, an unruly groundskeeper. 
Uh, okay, let's uh, let let's move it over to Eric. Let me ask you this, because you just mentioned Hoven. A lot of the people who are listening to the podcast, I mean, we are, it's one nation under whiskey. So I think a lot of people who are listening, Mescal is probably uh, a new category that they're exploring. I'm sure there's a lot of Scotch whiskey drinkers who love, you know, peaty, smoky whiskeys that have discovered Mescal and they're dipping their toe. In, in in the mezcal waters. Dip your tongue. It's right? Dip your... <laughs> but, but might not understand these words like hoven, yes. like espadine, like, okay. you know, they may see it. Yes. And, but they don't necessarily know what that has anything to do with mezcal. So okay. could you, can you give us a 101? Absolutely. Yeah, cool. All right. So, uh... Mezcal is a denomination of origin, uh, and that's been the case since 1994. Uh, but historically, mezcal was the blanket terminology for all agave spirits in Mexico. The first appellated mezcal is tequila. So when that happened, I would say that mezcal, the definition is analogous to brandy, the catch-all term. And in that moment in time, tequila was like cognac, a specific type. Uh, in 1994, the appellation of origin of mezcal was established, which is super recent in the history of mezcal. Um, and it had delineated geographic boundaries um, to five states. And the history of mezcal, um, it exists in 26 of the, of the 31 states in Mexico, and maybe more, maybe all of them, you know. Uh, so that really... Uh, that really sort of focused and, and excluded people from using a term that they would normally legally be able to use or mm. anecdotally be able to use. So it, it kind of has some controversy there as a DO because it's not a place, it's a thing, mezcal. Um, ah, okay. but, but so when, when that did happen in 1994, if going back to the analogy, if we're saying that tequila is like a cognac meant now instead of mezcal being like brandy, it's like Armagnac, a, another side-by-side independent yeah, DL. Yeah, okay. So that, I find that analogy typically helps people, especially spirit-minded people, into sort of getting a clarity of what is mezcal. In that DO, there is um, an age statement that is mandated you have to have on the, on the bottle. Um, the word hoven is what we typically use for an unaged mezcal uh, statement, especially in the southern states. Uh, you could use silver, plata... Or, any, or, or anything like that. Gotcha. It means 59 days in white oak barrel or less. Um, so or, or less being or less zero. zero. Okay. In most cases, zero. Okay. Yes. So uh, that is that's somewhat the norm. So when we are in Oaxaca, we're talking about an unaged mezcal. We're talking about joven, or uh, a blanco mezcal would be referred to as joven. But you might see here and there Blancos, you know, just like you would in tequila. Um, And like tequila, we have Reposado, and it means the same thing, 60 days to a day less than a year. And then we have Añejo too. Unlike tequila, which they then, in the for a long time I don't really understand it or know too much of the history of it but they didn't allow themselves to put an age statement on the bottle so you would have Añejo 
which is up to three years, and extra añejo, which is above three years. Right. And that never happened in mezcal. In mezcal, you have añejo one year, three years, nine years, whatever. That's now changed in tequila, where you can now add, add age statements, but you do still have that extra añejo category as sort of like a, seems to me as a relic, uh, or it will eventually become a relic, uh, because you could put an age statement. Is that kind of, you know, getting back to that analogy of cognac and armagnac, where VSOP and XO, it's not really a specific, it's not a real age statement. Right? I, I've never dived into thinking about it that way, uh, although I, it's great. It makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, Extra Añejo and Añejo both have very specific parameters about, and they are about aging. Um, but maybe, you know, you have people doing, you know, blend, many people doing blended ages of Añejo and Extra Añejo between like, oh, this Añejo has a mixture of one year and three year, or one year and 22 months barrels in there, or so whatever the case may be. I think it certainly is a way of having an age statement that is a generalization and um, allows for some flexibility by the producer to not have to be so exacting. Oh, okay. Which is why that if I did a mezcal with an age aspect, as a regular part of the business, yeah. I couldn't imagine doing it as uh, a consistent product because mezcal was so batch oriented that it would only be single barrel releases, whether it's a reposado or an añejo, because it becomes so it becomes challenging beyond my skill set to try and normalize it. Okay, so back to that you you talked about blenders mixing some extra añejo with añejo. I'm talking mostly about tequila when I tequila, say Tequila, okay. Yeah. But, yeah. but in, in maybe you don't know the answer to this. In, in terms of in terms of scotch whiskey, if you if you marry a, uh, a cask of whiskey that's say three years old and one that's 75 years old, okay. it's a three-year-old whiskey. So I think that would be true yeah, here as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been to some tequila producers, and one in particular that they use for their reposado, they use these um, big, beautiful Hungarian fudor uh, for the, their, I think the, for the aging. And then they have barrique black back blended into it um, of, of Añejo tequila that is labeled as a reposado. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you always age down. You always age down. Yeah, okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you and I were talking about rum a little earlier, yes. and that's not the case. You don't. Really? You don't age down. You yeah. age up. Oh, that's yeah, so yeah, nice yeah. for them. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, a little. They need a yeah. deal. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, getting back to some some of the one hundred and one. Let's let's talk about. Um, we were oh, talking about agave. You, you had mentioned. It yeah, 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 yeah. I said yeah. So yeah. one of the glorious things for me, one wonderful things about mezcal, in contrast to tequila, is that we could work with any kind of agave. And the way I always put it is that the government or the, the governing bodies don't regulate that. Mother Nature does. There are about two hundred species of agave 
more or less that are found in Mexico, and it's about 50 or so more or less that have uh, been used or have encountered being used for mezcal, and why not all of them? Mm. And the reason because you might have there are many, you know three quarters of the types of agave out there will reach maturity at a very low bricks, so a low sugar, low potential alcohol. Oh, okay. So imagine being this ancestral producer and going through the motions and instead of getting 100% yield of what you would have using one type of agave, you might have 10%. And all that labor, all that time, and you still you know, have to do everything else in your life. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's some Mother Nature sort of dictates um, that is uh, how I like to put it. But um, in Oaxaca, We have the greatest biodiversity of agave found in Mexico, therefore found in the planet. Uh, so you find many different varieties of agave coming into mezcal. The majority of the cultivated agave is espadín, um, and, esp and there's it's a great reason because it's great flavor. Yeah. It's great. Um, it doesn't take too long to mature, uh, but it takes you know anywhere between eight. And And, you know for actual maturity is like seven to nine years and when you would harvest you know eight to twelve years because you don't harvest right as it's matured you harvest you let it sit and continue to develop its sugars um, is there a minimum um, age that you for Fidencio that that you let the plant grow to 30 bricks which is about 11 to 12 years in the ground yeah so we are state grown We don't buy agave or liquid from anybody, so we control all that. We're the farmers. Enrique, who you meet later, is the farmer of it. And um, yeah, it's it's nice because we have very mature agave uh, going into the, into into the mezcal, and uh, that's for all the estate. We do work with some wild agave that's foraged, uh, and then of course we're estimating the age on that. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Because there's no there's no rings to count. There's no rings to count, but no, there are moments in the life cycle of the agave. So, for instance, uh, they are, um, when the plant goes into flowering, uh, just before it goes into flowering, it's called pabilo, and the center, the silhouette of the plant will dip because that, scent, that next leaf doesn't actually grow because what does grow is the flowering stalk. Okay. So when that flowering stalk comes up, that's called the Quixote, and you will cut it, and be, that that flowering stalk will have, the plant is now in its mode of all its energy going into reproduction mode. Yeah. So depending on the species of agave it'll have, and, and the environment, the terroir, um, is, is when that will happen. Um, so the plant will shoot up its stalk and then go into, you know, flower and seed. And we cut that when we want to make mezcal from the agave because all this this plant still has the you know this energy and its outlet instead of becoming seeds and reproducing, its outlet is starch or carbohydrates. Yeah. Or sugar. Okay. Okay. And then, yep, that makes sense. Yeah, and that's how we get the 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 the, the best quality mezcal for uh, agave from mezcal. So it's it's very similar to to barley. They want making single malt you want to trick that little barley corn into into germinating so that the corn itself starts uh, building starches ah. and then you want to stop that 
so you would you would dry it and you can use you know forced hot air uh -huh. or, or peat or something like that to stop it to get as much starch um, that you can convert to uh, fermentable sugars yeah uh, so it's the same exact concept concept yeah yeah okay that's interesting what's what's a little different I, or I don't know if it's different because but when I it's a little bit incorrect to, to say just starch so it's better if I say carbohydrates because the agave plant has a small percentage of, of fructose in it as is yep a large percentage of inulin which is a complex sugar and then a, 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 a substantial percentage of starches so it's actually the majority of, of its fermentable sugars are in in uh, inulin oh, uh, complex sugar but yeah total carbohydrates okay yeah and um, so yeah so we have many types of agave espadine being sort of the mother and uh, you know it's always a good way to to get a sense of the producer because you have the ability to compare most producers buy their espadine because they produce one and um, you know everybody when you have the ability to make 500 liters of a wild agave or 300 liters you know per year you're gonna put a lot of care into that um, and when you compare that to espadine which is cultivated which you can make a lot more you really want to judge somebody by their espadine because if they don't put a lot of love into that rush through things uh, um, okay. you know that may happen you know or may you know may not so I think to, that's a sign of a great producer is what is their espadine like you know so okay yeah that's so you'd mentioned 300 liters 500 liters so these are uh, you know wild agaves right where you're you're sort of wild harvesting them yeah and they can be um, cultivated you know it's definitely happening a lot more and it's a sort of a dying misconception uh, mar uh, that um, this or that or another agave cannot be cultivated um, I have not I mean as I understand it all agave could be cultivated to some level or another so let's let's try to do some simple numbers here to to do 300 liters of your and I'm gonna slaughter a name say uh, Madre Cuche Madre Cuche Madre Cuche yeah. right how many how many it's, agave plants like, well I need a calculator but it's like this Espadine we're getting about um, Uh, sorry, eight, yeah, eight, per, eight to twelve kilos per liter. So, per per um, per liter of, 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 of mezcal, it takes about ten or so uh, kilograms of the plant. The agave itself of espadine will is quite varied in size at maturity. So just like people are, so you have yeah. um, anywhere between sixty and one hundred and twenty kilos. So. However, that math works out. Okay. I'm driving, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Malequiche is a more austere plant. There's less bricks, you know, typically never above 25, you know, uh, and that's just the nature of it, you know, 22, 25. So, we're talking about um, 15 uh, or so, 14, 15 kilos per liter. Okay. 
Tobala, which is a very, very small plant, but uh, has high bricks, you know, sometimes really high, sometimes like 35, 36. Um, yeah, your per kilo to liter is very good. But of course, your liters per plant is totally different because it's very, very small right. agave okay. heart. So there's a lot of different aspects of that. So, okay, so you've, you've got a 10-year-old plant. Okay. And you're ready to harvest. You, you remove all of the, uh, the, you'd call them the spines? The leaves. The, the leaves, pink, okay. They're called panca. Panca. Yeah. And you're left with the piña, the heart of yes. the heart of the plant. Yes. So, if you wouldn't mind, let's talk about, okay, now you've got the piña. What happens next? What happens next? Yep. Take me through the whole sure. process of from harvesting to distillation. We harvest the piña, uh, and it's called a piña because when the leaves are cut off, it resembles a pineapple, and piña means pineapple. Yeah. Uh, so then we bring it to the, the, the palenque, the distillery, and uh, from there we roast it, or depending on in most cases, we cut it and roast it. So if it's espadín, which are large, the piñas, we cut it so we can have uniform cooking. Tobala, we almost always roast whole because they're very small. Okay. Uh, and, and, and variations with the other agave. Um, so uh, we cut it and then we, we roast it. And the way we cook the agave is that we're burying the agave in a horno de tierra, an earthen oven. And in the case of Fidencio, um, it's an earthen pit. Uh, we use uh, encino, which is black oak, as the fuel for the roasting. And this moment, that fuel is a choice by the mescalero, the distiller. Um, as and, and we'll set a tone as to what the, the result will be like. So like American barbecue, uh, you know, there are many different types of good woods that you can use and um, often reflective of your terroir. So it's another kind of your regionality. Oh, so it's okay. another aspect in which like where you are comes into play. And um, uh, so for instance, in the north, in, in Sonora, where they make Bacanora, which is a, another mezcal with another DO, they typically roast with mesquite, just it's on the, you know just like in our yeah. southwestern of the United States, which borders Sonora. Um, there's a lot of mesquite there, so that's uh, that's normal. There's mesquite here in Oaxaca, but in small amounts. So you'll find some producers that are blending it in in their roasting. You know all about your preference and your availability. We use only black oak, and. Um, so then we, we roast it, we buried it in the ground for five days, uh, typically at two and a half days it's complete, uh, but the embers are still burning. So most producers that I know of that are doing it this way are, uh, are roasting uh, for a minimum three days because it's most, in most cases that's when the embers will, are, are not going to reignite. So what happens is if you have hot, you know, heat in the fuel, and you're ready to, you're, 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 your agave is cooked, um, you can unearth the oven and a strong wind could come and relight the, the, those embers and then you have fire and then you're kind of fouling the batch. Uh, okay. So you want to avoid that. So you want to just let it sort of peacefully extinguish itself, you know. And what, 
what's happening during that process? Yeah, that's great. Um, so you have in the bottom of the conical shaped pit, you have um, this wood, which is now embers. And above that, you have loose rocks. And that loose rock is really important for the profile because that loose rock allows for the agave and everything else to go into the oven without extinguishing the wood because you have trap layer of air throughout the rock. And that's where you have that continued combustion during cooking. And the result is um, the imparting of smoke into the agave during this cooking. Yeah. And of course we're cooking to convert all those other complex sugars and uh, carbohydrates to break them down into fructose okay. for fermentation. Okay. So okay. it never happens without cooking, unless you're using a diffuser, which is an evil machine. Um, <laughs> is, so, it, is that what they use for Sotol? No, uh, no. No, uh, no Sotol that I'm drinking. Okay, okay, okay. And it uh, I know of some, te- you know, there are some tequila producers that famously use it. Um, and uh, I'm not checking them either. Um, so. Okay, get off your soapbox, go on. Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're doing this natural conversion of, sh- of, carb- of carbohydrates down to sugars. And, um, and then we go into crush. And in the case of Fidencio, we're using a Tahona, which is a grinding stone that's drawn by a horse. Um, low friction, low efficiency. Um, in more ancestral practices, you would use um, do it by hand, like manpower, like with either like a, a muddling shaped tool oh, yeah. okay. or a like mallet shaped tool, um, where you have even less efficiencies and. Uh, you know, basically the, the alcohol that we're fermenting comes from like two parts within the roasted agave. There's the pulp around the fibers and the fiber itself. So the more that you, more efficiently you crush, the more you're gonna open up the fibers and the alcohol that comes up out of the fibers will tend to have a greater proportion of methanol. So that lack of efficiency is a really good thing. Oh, I see, yeah. okay, okay. But, um, there are many great producers who make great mezcals that use mechanical shredding, so I, I don't really want to be, uh, um, you know, misleading anybody that way. I've had yeah. brilliant mezcals done that way. So, um, um, so then we go into fermentation, right? So in the case of mezcal, most traditional mezcal producers, um, it's con bagal. So everything is with the solids, and this is when I like to throw in that cooking restaurant term of fat is flavor you know and you know so we take all the solids from the crushing put it in the fermenter and we add water so unlike a grape um, there's not a lot of liquid and the yeast needs like a happy media environment for them to to have fermentation so we add water and it's really important to think of that water as part of your terroir and not part of dilution because that water is not bottled so but it is definitely an impact of the profile of the final product you know and in some cases you're getting it from well water or you're getting it from river water just pulling it right out of the river and all the different variations of, of, of production scenarios for different okay. producers okay so um so we now we're fermenting in we use a, a thousand liter pine bats um pine or sabino which is cypress are the common wooden bats yep. here yep. in uh in, in oaxaca 
Scotch whiskey, by the way. Oh, these yeah. typically uh, Douglas fir or mm-hmm. or uh, larch wood. They, as I'm told, that type of wood. I mean, it becomes neutral. It's neutral, yeah. and that type of wood, mean like um, holds an active environment for the bacteria yeah. of while it's not ha- while it's not being used in a, in a really positive way. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that's interesting. I didn't know that about scotch. Uh, but you will have people fermenting in like adobe or like cement type of fermenters right. or steel. And in the, some of the very, very ancient ways, people fermenting in animal skins. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And of wow. course, clay okay. fermenters and, and yeah. many other types are, are, are there. So we have the... the the natural ambient yeast going into its uh, its process of fermentation. Oh, okay. So you, you, know. you don't add yeast. We don't it's inoculate. All yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. It's okay. all. Oh, wow. Just yeah. yeah, the natural process of of the ambient yeast, which is um, great. It's another footprint of like this ex- what I consider like this expanded concept of terroir because no yeast bloom will ever stay the same in, in any particular place because it's always evolving and it'll never be the same as your neighbor. Um, so it's very location wow. specific. Yeah. Um, so then we go, uh, you know, when it's ready and depending on whether it's, you know, cooler out or warmer out, that period of fermentation is a different amount of time. So we have like uh, anywhere between like seven to 14 days, depending on the ambient wow. temperature. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you know that's part of that like um, that that seasonality of uh, of the product. So you have um, like cold weather mezcal will have longer fermentation and will have natural uh, naturally higher acidity in the final product due to that longer fermentation. Things you, of that nature. Are you looking for a specific gravity at the end? No, Enrique's touching it and knows it's ready. It's That's very crazy. much by hand. Everything is by hand. You'll see it. Yeah. Wow. Everything is okay. by, it's just by, you know, like what you know. Yeah. This okay. her- I call it heritage knowledge. We're talking, he's four generation producer, kind of five because he's the youngest of nine children. So he's 50 years younger than his dad. Oh, wow. You know, okay. so it's, it's a long, like a lot of knowledge sort of filtering or being passed into him and learning of, and, and, and knowing he's a maestro. He's, he's been doing this his whole life now. Um, so we go then to the stills and we take everything from the fermenters to the stills. So um, that con bagasso, the bagasso being the bagasse being the solids, all goes into that first round of distillation, um, that fat is flavor. And, and then we roast, I'm sorry, and then we distill. And then uh, we, we take all the, the clear liquid, the first run, uh, and then... Can I interrupt you? I'm yeah. sorry, can you describe the stills? Yes, for me. we're talking about, um, we, we have a, two main types, but um, we have, the majority of all of our mezcal is made in small 300 liter copper pot stills that are wood fired. There are no um, temperature gauges or pressure gauges. And we're here in a fiesta time here in wow. Lula. Uh, and, um, yeah, so, and, you know, mud sealed, so it's very, very minimal. This, this type of still it, it was is, existed in this way for uh, as, far, as, as far back as 300 years ago. Wow. So okay. 
with the with the mezcal that we're making, we could travel back in time about 300 years. There are other types of stills that we can travel back 500 years, you know, or so. Okay. Um, so that's how modern we are. <laughs> and then we, so so we got the 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 tapache, the mash, in the still, and uh, and then we um, and then we 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 ran the still for the first time. So now we have clear liquid. By law, mezcal needs to be distilled minimum two times. Incidentally, that's a part of the do. So there are historically and currently in other places people who distill distillado de agave agave spirits or mezcals um in uh and drink them as single distilled agave but that doesn't happen too too often here in oaxaca um and if it does it wouldn't be legally a mezcal at this time mm. so uh so then the second round of the distillation is clear without the solids and we uh that's when we do the cuts Okay. Yeah, heads and tails. Where where are your cuts? Where do they start? Where do they end? Here and there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. It's 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 where it's Enrique not like says, that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's now and then you know they. No, probably, no, yeah. that's you know that's there's again getting back to what where my knowledge is yep. in, in Scotch whiskey, that's how it's been done. Where traditionally and and things have changed now. Be you know with. Uh, Gravometers or whatever they are in computers, yeah. uh, but it was by sight yes. and by smell. When that liquid starts to go from a, a bluish to a clearish, that know. you know what I mean. They they would do that and then they would smell it and then they give it a taste and they knew just from that it's ready. No smell taste, yeah. And let's ask Enrique when we see him because I would imagine that he's like probably like yeah we take off four liters or eight liters of yeah. that's for the heads and then we know i mean he's got it down to a very uh natural expectation now where yeah. he doesn't have to taste it yeah. i would think okay yeah I, yeah good question and then um and then basically we, well, that's the batch or or the stills are very tiny so then depending on what we're making it might be four 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 pots to a batch okay. or it might be a lot more uh, to, and then they all get vatted, mm-hmm. and then we have the batch. Okay. That's, yeah. that's very cool. Yeah. We finally get to the distillery after about 45 minutes of drive time. And there were some key questions that I wanted to know. And these are, you know, these are things that you and I ask when we go to distilleries in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that I needed to know was... Where do you take your cuts? Where's your heads? Where's your hearts? Where's your tails? And and I got to learn what they call, you know, just like in the U.S. we call them heads, hearts, and tails. In Scotland they call them four shots, hearts, and faints. You know, I got to learn a little bit about what they in Mexico call their heads, hearts, and tails and where they take their cuts and how they deal with it all. And... um I wanted to throw that in here. And just so people know, uh, I'm speaking with Enrique, who is the Maestro Mescalero. And we had uh, another gentleman with us, in addition to Arik, who's the brand owner of Fidencio. We had, had another gentleman named Ricardo, uh, really stand-up guy, lovely, lovely chap. And he acted as our translator. So you'll hear some Spanish, and then you'll hear... 
um, Ricardo translating for us. In distillation, uh, when you have uh, cabeza y corazón, corazón y cola, where where do you take your cuts? Where does the cabeza end and the hearts begin? And when does the hearts end? ¿En dónde corta usted para saber que aquí es la cabeza y aquí empieza el corazón? Well, basically, it's the, the first uh, cabeza, the head. Uh, he knows when to cut it because it's, it's by the heat that the, 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 uh, okay. that, that makes to spin the, uh, the liquids inside the, inside the steel. The steel. Yeah. So when that is uh, dropping, he knows that it's still cabeza. And because of that spinning, sometimes it brings some particles of, of copper. So that is not good. And they throw away like one liter. Some people say that two or three liters, but no, they, they throw away like one liter. Okay. And, and then he starts to taste, to taste what, what mm. he knows, like a good cook when the uh, okay. when yeah. the food is fine yeah. if it doesn't need salt or sugar or any other things he says that that is fine and also by tasting he knows by experience i guess uh, the graduation mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. of the alcohol within the heart within the corazón yeah and finally when he feels the drop uh, the dropping of the of the alcohol volume and it goes low 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 lower and lower that's when the corazón ends okay and and the tail still has some some alcohol and maybe the graduation is very low but it's it's tasty so they use it like to give flavor okay they don't they don't just throw it away, but just they use it that too. So instead of adding water, it would add some of the tails to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. That's how yeah. sort of um, course correct or fine tune their batches. Okay. With the tails. That's interesting. The high part of the tails, not the low part of the tails. Yes. Yeah. Okay. In listening to Enrique there, and I'm so glad you asked him the question that you did. Earlier this month, or I guess by the time this goes live, earlier last month, in the beginning of May, I led a whiskey tour of Scotland. And as we have with our whiskey geeks, is a lot of them ask the type of question that you and I ask, which is each distillery we go to, where do you take your heads? Where do you take your, uh, your, your heart? Where do you take your tails? And it's really interesting that for the group that I had over there, a group out of Seattle connected to Barrel Thief, talked about them many times before, one of their, I, I want to say frustrations with a very, very small F, is that as you go around Scottish distilleries, they've all got it down to their numbers. They, they mm. know the, the, the percentage point at which they take their cut, and that remains yeah. consistent unless they decide to do some experimentation. And my group, kept asking, is there anybody who does cuts by taste, you know, by flavor? And in, mm. and in Scotland, for our experiences, the answer is no. For you in Oaxaca, 
it was wonderful to hear somebody who was away from the numbers, where yeah. each batch of agave, as we mentioned earlier, bringing seven-year-old with 14-year-old, you get to derive your flavors that way, but you don't necessarily mm. know how they're going to distill until they actually start running from the still, till the spirit starts running or the hoven starts running. <laughs> Definitely. I, I think one of the things that Enrique has on his side is that much like George Grant with Glen Farkless Distillery, Enrique is fifth generation with this distillery. This was passed on father, grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather. You know, it just, this is a family thing. And so this is something that Enrique grew up in. Yeah. Right? It's, you know, I don't think anyone else could be doing what Enrique is doing. And that is, you know, that's just growing up in it. That is part of his life. Yeah. The The other thing I would add is just as we're sitting here tasting this, I know, and, I, and I've kind of presented it to people, as you're tasting scotch in America or in Australia or wherever you happen to find yourself, you're getting a little taste of that country. And for mm. me, growing up in Scotland, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of that connection for me, but I, I know Scotland, I know other flavors and so on and so forth. And you're Scottish? Breaking news. Um <laughs> I was going to save it for the news section, but I thought I'd just slide it in elsewhere. <laughs> As I sit here tasting this mezcal, listening to Enrique, listening to Arik, listening to your trip down there, it tastes like a foreign land. It tastes like a place mm. that I've never been to. And yeah. I'm getting that connectivity from the spirit over into the region as as you described it, you know, a fifth generation uh, maestro uh, working the distillation here. Like I, I taste all of that in this glass. And it's it's not always something I get to experience completely with Scotch and, and, and Scottish products. So I'm thoroughly enjoying it with our Oaxacan mezcal. Mm. It's also something I get with rums. When we taste something from Panama or we taste something from Haiti or we taste something from the Bahamas, it's a distant land that's in the glass. And and it's part of the attraction for me yeah. uh, with, a, with a new spirit. You know, I, I agree with you there. The one thing that I would say is, is slightly different. As foreign as it feels, as distant as it feels, and, and this could be the American in me saying this. Now, granted, you know, you, you grew up in Scotland, didn't move over here to the U.S. until 16, 17 years ago. Are you about to get racist? Uh, just when you say... About Scottish Just people? when you say this is the American in me, I just... Uh, Americans talking about Mexicans, uh, doesn't it just get racist every time? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in Trump's America. Oh, okay, but. okay. I, I thought that's where we were. Okay. So oh, we're going to make North America great again. Okay. Um, <laughs> Starting with trade deals. <laughs> no, my, my, my point is, in the U.S., Mexican products are very much a part of our everyday life. You know, wh whether it's taco joints being everywhere, 
whether it's tequila being such a prominent spirit in the U.S. It's massive. Uh, and mezcal is starting to do that. And and the amount of Mexicans living here, you know, look at look at L.A., right? Look at so many other cities and towns where you've got such a huge um, Latino or Mexican influence. It's a good part of America. And so while, yes, this is different, yes, this feels foreign from, say, what we produce here in the U.S., be it bourbon or rye or, or, or what have you, there's, there's, a, there's something familiar about it, at least to me as, as an American. There's something still comfortable about it to me. Yeah, no, and I would definitely throw that in here that bourbon still tastes foreign to me. And I've lived in the U.S. for 17 <laughs> years. And I still think of a distant Kentucky, um, which is, you know, I've got one state between me and Kentucky. <laughs> uh, but it, it still yeah. feels foreign. So, um, so, so before... Yeah, I, I think I see the label that you have there. Yes, yes I was I yes. was about to offer up the same transition. Um, so while you were down there, the the goal was to go visit our cask that that yes. we were proud of and we checked up on and we'd heard the story of. And while you were there, another little something uh, came upon you. I I shall say. Mm-hmm. And that's what we now have in our glass. <laughs> so, but but, I, yeah. but but before we transition, I wanted to make one thing oh. crystal crystal clear: the espadine that we yes. have been tasting through this episode that mm-hmm. is connected to our wild turkey single barrel that went down Correct. to Oaxaca. Mm-hmm. That mezcal release will be a members-only purchase. That that will be our online special project division because it was most definitely a special project. (laughs) Most definitely, yes. But then when this other thing came upon you, we had a conversation to release this into retail. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we will so, so we will have one online mezcal and then we yeah. will have what we're about to discuss as our retail offering. As a retail, correct. So, so tell us about this, Joshua Haddon. So here we are. We are in the warehouse, uh, which is quite small, as you might imagine. They're not maturing a lot of mezcal. Most of it is just coming off the still and being bottled. While we're in the warehouse, we get to taste the Reposado, the the nine-month, actually 10-month-old ex-wild turkey cask. Mm -hmm. I saw a bottle, (laughs) it's actually just a few bottles, of this other stuff, and it was really, really dark liquid. And I said, what's happening there? When you you say you saw this and you could tell the color of liquid, was it in something that you could clearly see through? Was it in a tank that you could look into? No, these these were just just a few bottles. Oh, bottles. Were, okay. Yeah, bottles, right? With, gotcha. with dark, dark liquid in there. Gotcha, bottles. So I said, I said, Arik, what, what is that? And he said, oh, you know, that was, 
that was a special project that another customer was working on, but in the end, they they didn't take it. And I don't know if the funding fell through or, or what happened. I said, well, okay, well, what's the deal with it? And so this, this is where things get a bit interesting. Mm-hmm. They had about three casks worth, ex-George Dickel casks, worth of this Espadine. Now, the Espadine spirit stayed in these casks for five years. Whoa. Five years. And they were going to bottle it for this other client. The other client disappeared, whatever happened. And so what they did is they then took this spirit and put it into glass. Okay. Now, here's the interesting thing. When it comes to, and and actually, I think Eric may have touched on it a little bit. You know, mezcal was traditionally transported in glass or in ceramic. And that was the traditional way of of transporting. I have seen images. Right. Now, there's these glass things called demijohns. And you could put the mezcal into that glass. And while products like scotch whiskey, like bourbon, like rum, etc., do not age in glass, mezcal and tequila most certainly do age in glass. And the product changes tremendously. So this spirit that we're drinking right now is five years in oak, four years in glass, and it can officially be called a nine-year-old. Oh. And yes, so this is, and it'll say on the label, uh, nine-year-old, and somewhere on there it'll say, you know, Miss Galignejo. But uh, yeah, this is a nine-year-old product. Wonderful. Which in the Mezcal world does not exist. This doesn't happen. What yeah, a, it's happening. And this this is, we say this about Scotland. I'm glad it was also true of Oaxaca. When you show up boots on the ground, yeah. unexpected things happen. Unexpected, exactly. Yeah, so I said, what's happening there? And he tells me the story. He says, do you want to taste it? <laughs> and to- <laughs> I hope you did not say it in a Catholic country, does the Pope shit in the woods? Do you want to get high? Does the Pope shit in the woods? Because that would have been in terrible taste, Joshua. Terrible taste. Uh, oh, gosh. I hope you just kept it clean and just said, yes, please. So in my own way, I said, yes, please. <laughs> and now you can go back to Oaxaca. Okay, I understand. And we put it in glass. And you know, off the bat, it was this mix of diesel oil, right? Just toasted cinnamon, toasted nutmeg, and guava paste, crushed papaya. Like when papaya gets really sort of dank and earthy, but like stickly sweet dank and earthy, that was in here. But but here's the most surprising thing to me. Yeah. And I said earlier, and you brought it up, about mm-hmm. getting some mezcals that immediately smell and taste like hangover. And I said, you know, part of it is that kind of Caroni rum, heavy dankness. Yeah, the agriculture Car- kind Caroni of thing. Caroni yeah. can be very tire fire, very diesel fumes. Yeah. 
at no point since you ever poured this for me the very first time has this ever made me think of hangovers. That's awesome. And so even though you've just described the components that I attribute to my hangover note, I just don't get it in here. So that sort of diesel-y note that I get out of here reminds me of some of some Glen Scotia's single casks I've had that I've really enjoyed where the peat gets heavy mm-hmm. and and again for lack of a better term like you know a, a well-used auto mechanic garage as I transition I've got these in two different glasses mm. as I return to the Espadine I get a lot more pepper on the Espadine oh, yeah. and the uh, well hold on they're both Espadine oh, okay Let so me, it's either the uh, reposado, reposado or the Añejo yeah the reposado has the pepper on it <laughs> the one we're bottling for <laughs> special projects division in our okay. wild turkey cask. Um, right. And then I go into the Añejo and it's it's like a fruit syrup, like a real, yeah. that heaviness, that heavy fruitiness that you're talking about comes through to me as a syrup and, and really draws yeah, it's my... fruit cocktail syrup. Yeah, really yeah. draws my attention away um, from the... Even from the smoke, there's a little um, bit of smoke yeah. in there. See, I'm, it, it, and Jason, this is why you and I work so well together, is, you know, both of us can get incredibly focused on one element of something. However, we're pretty good at r- helping one another to realign where our brain is going with things. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you said that, that you know, fruit syrup. I'm just thinking about, you know, opening up that tin can and you've got the the pear in there and the orange in there and I'm searching desperately for that one cherry that's in the yeah. fruit cocktail <laughs> yeah. can. Wow. Yeah, that's complex wow. on the palate. I've always heard, I'm not a tequila guy, I've always heard rumors of aged tequilas that are sipping mm. tequilas. Mm-hmm. This mezcal is such a, a wonderful sipping mezcal with layers of complexity and developing flavors as you sit and sip a little more. Oh, even as I return to it after tasting, get a little bit of hospital ward on it. Uh, a note that I sometimes get in Isla whiskies, where there's that little bit of germaline which i know is not an, an american thing no. uh, germ- what would you equate germaline to at root beer <laughs> oh root beer yeah <laughs> oh interesting yeah germaline is an antiseptic ointment that's pink comes in little tins or maybe tubes nowadays oh, okay and if you scrape your knee or elbow or whatever your mom would rub the germaline in it for you and give give a scots person root beer and they immediately say germaline Immediately. Um, and so I, I think there's just that little bit of sassafras wandering around the edges of this glass uh, when my nose returns to it after tasting it. So when your mother applies the germaline onto your knee, is that like putting the lotion on the skin? <laughs> I, pre- I prefer putting the antiseptic ointment on the skin, but... <laughs> putting, 
it puts the germline on the skin or else it gets the hose again. Yeah, this, uh, this is remarkable. Yeah. This is going to blow people away at retail. Yeah, so between the two bottlings, the online one is going to have about 300 bottles. A bit fewer than that, probably actually closer to around 230, to be honest. And the... And Yeho, mm-hmm. the one that we're talking about now, that's nine years old, will have about 700 bottles yeah, of those that's, for the entire U.S. That's fantastic. And that's, yeah. Which will be our largest outturn to date. It will be. It will be. And, and to be quite honest, it's officially not a single cask product. It's three casks married together, then matured in glass. And uh, so something for us to be very upfront about oh, yeah. single cast single cast nation name will still be on there but this is almost like a single batch single batch nation how's that understood yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. I, it's cracking product we always said if we find cracking product we'll find a reason to put it in a single cast nation bottle so <laughs> here we are Jason, I think it's probably a good time to move into the news. Before we do, I just want to offer a sincere thanks to to Arik, uh, to Amy, who's his business partner, uh, who also uh, helped out and continues to help out with this project. Which, by the way, this project it's the it's being bottled shortly, and the labels are approved, so we we should have these on store shelves and in on our website fairly soon. But I want to thank Arik, Amy, Enrique, uh, and Ricardo for their hospitality, for sharing their wealth of knowledge. Um, it's obvious that you and I still have a lot to learn. Um, yep. You know, it's interesting talking with Arik. He lives Mescal. Right, he knows it. Where you and I live, Scotch whiskey, and we have, you know, a, I would say as good an understanding on Scotch whiskey as he has on Miscal. Meanwhile, all of us are still learning, which that's sort of the point of all this. I yeah, I, I had an interesting conversation with Mark Watt at the beginning of May, where Cadenheads are doing some bottlings of rum. They're doing some bottlings of. Uh, <laughs> it's a word as soon as I start thinking about it I have the hardest time pronouncing it Chacasa? Chacasa Oh The Brazilian uh, Chacasa Yeah it's like a Brazilian rum basically It's like And it's such a quiet CH on the front I always get confused on On how to get it out But I, I took a big Chacasa earlier But go on <laughs> That's not offensive to a country of people Oh shit <laughs> But there you go Sorry Brazilians <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brazil. <laughs> but but anyway, Mark's point was that they're not rum experts. They're not Chicasa experts. Uh, they've got some other things floating around that are interesting, but they're not experts on. Their guiding principle on it is if it tastes good, they put it in a bottle. Yeah, that sounds familiar and i think everything that you've just said about our knowledge of scotch our knowledge of american bourbons rise 
we we know so little about mezcals. We know so little about you know we're we're still learning about rums as well for some of our rum releases. Yeah. But we're guided by our palates, and the hope would be people that are fans of our Scotch palates and American whiskey palates will also be fans of our mezcal and rum palates. I love the way you pronounce mezcal. <laughs> you throw a, a T in there where a T doesn't exist. <laughs> but, it's like it's the Mets cow. Mets cow. Mets cow. Mezcal. Mezcal. Mez. That's what I'm saying. It's like Met Mez. It's like Zedaka. Mez. It's like Zedaka. <laughs> what letters yeah. are in Zedaka? There's no T in Mezcal, but there's a T in Zedaka. There's also a Z in Zedaka. Follow me. Mez. <laughs> Mez. Cal. Cal. Mez. Mez. Cal. Cal. Mezcal. Mezcal. <laughs> Fucker. <laughs> Everybody saw that coming. <laughs> that was signposted from miles away. <laughs> okay, on to the news. History, history. We all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, extra. This is what I have to say. I, I think that this is important news, Jason. And it it's a slightly apropos to the conversation today in that I really think we need to talk about what happened with our wild turkey. Okay. Okay. So you and I, and, and we've talked about it on the podcast, right? The podcast? We pod- okay, we want to talk about pronunciation in this episode? Pots, the podcast? Pod, pod, the pad podcast? <laughs> the pad cost? <laughs> the pad, the <sighs> pad cost, I like that. Okay, yes? Yeah. What do we need to talk about on the pad cost today? <laughs> so you and I bottled two casks of wild turkey. Did we? I don't remember that. <laughs> you don't remember it because it's sold out in in two shakes of a lamb's tail. <laughs> Apropos, given that we did release it in spring. So between the two bottlings, uh, one of the casks from Warehouse K, the other from Warehouse D, uh, we had 236 bottles, right? Where Warehouse K had more than Warehouse D. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and... It's the build-up to it through the podcast, through our emails to our membership, uh, through Instagram, uh, through our Facebook group page. We thought we had control over the message. Who's, who is going to know about this, right? We're targeting our members. In the weeks leading up to releasing this wild turkey cask, we probably signed on two to three hundred more members. Easily. Somewhere around there. Easily. 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 Was it more than that? It was I've, probably more than that. Yeah, this is the first time you've ever been conservative with a number estimate. <laughs> but here's what I'll say. So we build up to it. And we're letting people know, okay, on such and such a day, and I think it was May 2nd, this is going to go live. May 1. At May 1, okay. May Day. This is going to go live. <laughs> May Day. <laughs> we were calling out May Day. <laughs> this is going to go live at 10 a.m. And we let people know 
through email. You gave them a few days heads up. Check your email. This is going to go live at 10 a.m. Also, please be sure to be on our Facebook group page because the link or links to these two different bottlings will go live at exactly 10 a.m. to purchase this. Right? So here we are. I'm in my car, by the way, May 1 at 10 a.m. And my phone starts to blow up. Mine too? And by blow up, I mean we're getting notifications from our website app to saying, you've made a, you've made a sale, you've made a sale, you've made a sale. And let me, let me preface all of this by saying these bottlings were one per person. Mm-hmm. Though if, if you wanted to slash if you're able to, you can get one bottle from each cask. So you can get one warehouse D, one warehouse K. 10 o'clock starts, my phone starts to blow up. At around 10.01, I pull over because I want to see I want to see this happen. I want to see how long it's really what's all shaking out. So I, I open up our e-commerce you know, the, app. Yeah, yes. I open up the, the back end of our e-commerce app. And at one point, right around 10.01, 10.02, I saw 1,500 people on our website all at the same time, trying to purchase 263 bottles. And by 10.03, all of the bottles were sold. Yep. At which point, I thought to myself, God damn it, Jason, you didn't put enough bottles in <laughs> into the online shop for these people to purchase. How many did you put in? Because there's no way this sold out in three minutes. And then I looked at the order records to see that exactly 236 (laughs) bottles. It's actually fewer than that. You haven't said the same number twice. I'm enjoying that part. What did I say? 263? (laughs) No, you said 236. Earlier on, we were in the 240s. (laughs) No, we were not in the 240s. We were never in the 240s. (laughs) So then I looked at the order records to see that, in fact, all of the bottles had sold. Yeah, yeah. And that's when we ran into a lot of problems because there were a handful of happy people who got their bottle or got their bottles, but then some unhappy people who who missed out. I don't think anyone, especially us, expected these bottles to sell out within three minutes. Three minutes was was interesting. That's, you know, partly it was quantity, but also just the week before, uh, the month before, we had released the Port Charlotte 14-year-old, which mm-hmm. we knew there were a lot of people lining up for that. There was so much interest, so much enthusiasm, and it sold out in 39 minutes. We thought the bourbon would be faster than the Port Charlotte because these are the times we live in. But we didn't think it would be three minutes compared no. to 39 minutes. Yeah, we didn't think it would be 36 minutes faster. That's That was remarkable. And, and, and one of the things I took from the feedback, and, and as you rightly say, there were some unhappy people. One of the things that I took from the feedback is bourbon has to be released under a lottery system. Yeah. Bourbon yep. 
can, and again, that's a mistake that we made in our estimates when we thought it would last a lot longer than three minutes. Um, we thought everybody would have a fair shake at it. And, and that was wrong thinking. Well, well, we knew people would miss out, right? You and I, we know the size of our mailing list. And, and I've told people, you know, who've, who've emailed us, who messaged us, you know, we've got thousands of people on our mailing list with 263 bottles to go around. So we knew that the vast majority of our members would miss out. But I think part of what happened, too, was you've got some people who just aren't on Facebook, right? And they were relying on their email. And what we found out was our email client staggered the emails. So some emails went out at exactly 10. Some emails went out at 10.05. And it's, it was a bit of a built-in feature. The more we looked into it, that kind of helps to ensure that emails don't show up into spam folders, mm. which we obviously want to avoid emails going into spam folders. Gotcha. And we never expected this to sell out in fewer than five minutes, but those people who received their email at 10.05 or at 10.10 or what have you, they they had no chance if they were relying on email. Yeah. And, and then there were people who were relying on our website they were expecting that the products would go live on our website at 10 o'clock. And we purposely ensured that these did not show up on our website because we wanted to protect our membership with a hidden URL. Yep. So that, so, you know, so that a member has a better chance to buy it over a non-member who just happens to come across our website. Yeah, that actually affected one of my friends here in Virginia um, when he'd received the email saying, wait for the URLs, wait for the URLs. And on the, I think it was a Tuesday morning, a Wednesday morning was May 1. Uh, one of one of those. Tuesday. Okay. It was Tuesday. And, and he was one of those people refreshing the website. And he emailed or he texted me at 1018. And he said, are, are these going to go live? Uh, I, I've been waiting since 10. And I had to, it was later in the day once we got through all of the text messages that had come in yeah. and uh, the angry emails. And um, and I said, listen, I'm really sorry. We kept it hidden to protect members so there was no sniping. And to his credit, he wrote me back and said, I totally get why you did that. I totally mm -hmm. understand. Mm -hmm. And I said, you should have got an email. And he said, I did. I didn't even think about clicking through on those URLs because I was just refreshing the website. Oh, and it's, but, you know, it, it's, there was no room for error in that release. And I think that'll be, you know, you and I had a very serious conversation. Should we even release more of these casks? Um, right, because it, it just, it seemed we're disappointing people more than we're making them happy. Right, and that's, that's not been our MO. That's not been anything we've ever tried to, yeah. to do no. with, with our company. And we also learned about um, office jockeys, I, I think was one of the phrases thrown around. Okay. Uh, keyboard jockeys. Um, I'm trying to remember this. <laughs> basically, Keep talking. basically, if you've got a, an office job, you're, you're at your desk, you're in front of your computer, 10 a.m. Oh. to 10.03 is an eternity for you 
sitting at your desk and getting other people in your office to, to and that's part of the protection to refresh a website so that you can yeah. get them ordering bottles on your behalf as well um we we tried to protect one half of that and we failed to protect the other half which was people with desk jobs really had a foot up on that well yes you're you're right. We we did we protected one one side of it, but the people who don't sit at desks, what could we do? Um, what I will say, however, is there was one person who had messaged me, uh, who who is an OR doctor, mm-hmm. and he basically had lined up things to ensure that he can go to the bathroom. Oh my goodness. So other people cover him so he can go to the bathroom to buy a bottle. Now, I don't remember if he actually got the bottle and hopefully whoever he, they they were working on survived. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you can always <laughs> make time to, to hit the bathroom and buy it on your phone. Uh, you know, the, the other thing that popped up, and we found this interesting, is that our e-commerce website, does all it can to protect the inventory it has so as not to run into the situation where you're an airline who oversells seats. Yeah. Right? We've all been in this situation where you, you're sitting at the gate and, and uh, the flight attendants at the gate are saying, who can we pay to take the next flight because we've overbooked this flight? So our website has something that is hardwired into it that ensures that it won't oversell the stock to the point where one of the complaints we had is people would put the bottles into their cart, they go to check out, and by the time they checked out, it'd say, such and such bottle is sold out. And they say, well, what the hell? I, already, I put it in my cart. And you're right. You put it into your cart. And... You should have gotten that, but but it didn't happen. <laughs> and and our website is doing exactly what a website should do. If fifteen hundred people who are on our website oh my God. all had the same bottles oh in their cart, all purchased it, and now we've got to reach out to twelve hundred of them to say, sorry it didn't work out, then it's a much bigger problem. Yeah. Right? So so congrats to those that, that, that got a bottle. Hope, hopefully when you get it, you'll open it and enjoy it. Um, and, and, and really, you know, t- sincere apologies to those that missed out. And, and we will be doing this by lottery moving forward. Because while we did say, should we be bottling any more bourbon if it's going to turn into this? Um, in the end, we want to bottle good whiskey. We want to continue bottling good bourbon. And we just n- know that it's got to be some sort of a lottery system for uh, for this type of stuff. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So plenty of lessons learned. Um, for, for those who, who think we're terrible human beings, um, we, we've been in this part of the business since 2011. And it took us until 2018 for have, to have people think that we were troublemakers for for one of a better term um so let's lay that to rest another bit of news uh, we should have 
the third retail release coming into our warehouse in a, a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, some, some point yeah, in should, June. Some point in June. And what's nice about that, so in part of the third release, and we mentioned this in a previous podcast, we've got our, our 43-year-old Invergordon, our 28-year-old undisclosed Speyside, um, we've got our 9-year-old Isla, our 10-year-old Croft and Gaia, and our 20-year-old Glenn Rothis. But we also have for the Special Projects Division our 10-year-old Tam Du, mm-hmm. which uh, spent a portion of its life in rye casks, or in a rye cask, sorry. And also our 13-year-old Stones of Stenness, Hello from the Magic Tavern collaborative bottling tons of great whiskey coming over yeah tons of really wonderful interesting releases Mm -hmm. Um, and to reiterate something that i said previously but the invergordon was distilled the month i was born and the year well i I mean the literal month that i was born (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's a a tremendous tremendous uh, whiskey to have in our arsenal and and one that i'll be squirreling away bottles that'll be getting pulled out for for different birthdays you just whip it right out at various birthdays And, and i'll be whipping it out even more the older i get joshua (laughs) So, uh, before we leave the news, uh, there are many people have been asking, when is Stones of Stenness coming out? Mm. We just mentioned that. It's going to be hitting our warehouse in about three weeks. That doesn't mean that's when it's going to go on sale. But that's hitting our warehouse in about three weeks or so. And people asking, what's the price going to be? And how many bottles can I get? And... We have to say that this is going to be a one per person, just like with the Port Charlotte and with the Wild Turkeys, and these will be $135 per bottle. Yeah, a lot of demand from from our side for the whiskey fans, a lot of demand from the Hello from the Magic Tavern side with the, uh, the just the fans of the podcast looking yeah. for a, a unique collectible fan item um hopefully they'll also open it hopefully they'll experience heavily sherried heavily peated orkney whiskey uh Mm -hmm. at cask strength but but yeah a a lot of interest and there will be a lot of demand so again we're trying to be careful (laughs) what a year 2018 (laughs) dude what a year Uh, (sighs) yeah it's just We've been doing well for a good number of years. It has kicked off in 2018. It really, really has. Um, it's something. I mean, the, the good news is from that cask, there's 294 bottles. So there are a few more bottles to go around for people. <laughs> uh, more than the Port Charlotte had and more than the two wild turkeys had combined. Yeah, that's a, a bit of a silver lining there. A bit of a silver lining. Our poor shipper. They have been working nonstop. Port Charlotte, now into Wild Turkey, soon into Jubilee, then into Stones of Stenness and Tamdu. Yeah. 
Yeah, the other thing that I want to mention here, and, and then we should move on, uh, is that when it comes to these shipments, both the Port Charlotte and and the Wild Turkey and soon-to-be Stones of Stenness, on the recommendation of our shipper, we are limiting the number of bottles we ship per week in an effort to minimize shipping errors. And shipping errors do happen. We've experienced it through the Port Charlotte, and we're not going to go into that, but we've experienced some shipping errors. And so you may order it one week, and it may take a few weeks to get to you, but it's all in an effort to ensure the bottle gets safely to your doorstep. Meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom. Not now! Okay. Jason, we, we have some mail that we need to get to, but um, I'm looking at how long this recording has been, and this is going to be quite a long podcast, so let's carry that over to the next podcast, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I do have a, a small misconception <laughs> that I want to bring in. It's always the penis with you. <laughs> yep, the misconception that is small. Um, <laughs> when people think, or pe- when people hear the word mezcal, they automatically go to, oh, that's the stuff with the worm in the bottle. Oh, people, people, right? what's wrong with people? <laughs> that's the thing that uh, Craig T. Nelson swallowed in Poltergeist 2, and then vomited out a big ghost monster. What is it? Do a lot of people say that to you? Are there people who don't say that to you? <laughs> Continue. <laughs> and, and that, dear friends, dear listeners, is the misconception. You know, there's definitely a novelty to some mescals, a handful of mescals having a worm in there. But if you go to any shop, if you go down to Oaxaca and go to any uh, mescalero, um, and I just slaughter the name, I know, um, you will be hard-pressed to find a bottle of mescal that has a worm in it. It just isn't a thing. And it's actually, in in my conversations with Arik, it's actually something that the mescal industry is trying to overcome because it's something that people equate. Mescal equals that's the stuff with the worm in wow. it. And, and that's just not the case. Uh, I would say it is a product that is so craft, so artisanal, beyond most tequilas out there, that these mescalados, these maestro mescalados, aren't going to want to kitch it up with putting a worm in there. What was the original function of the worm? It was kitschy. That right? was it's, it? It's just, yeah, it's, it's just like... It didn't do anything? It, it doesn't do anything. Oh, good Lord. You know, it's just like getting snake wine and, and <laughs> snake whiskey from Thailand or whatever. It's just... It's here's a kitschy thing, and oh, you get to the bot, you get to the bottom of the bottle of mescal. You got to eat the worm. You know, it be- became this thing. Wow! And, and, and it just really isn't a thing, especially not these days. 
And so... Wow, yeah, we will most definitely be a worm-free zone. That's... I got dewormed last week, so <laughs> I'm feeling great. <laughs> great. <laughs> did they rub something behind your ear? Is that how they did it? Just some lotion on the skin. <laughs> <laughs> or else it gets the worms again, they, right? Oh, there's a note <laughs> to oh. end on. Uh, well, so, yeah I, yeah, I just I have to say this has been a, uh, I've, <laughs> as co-host of the podcast, and <laughs> Remember when a couple of episodes ago when uh, Adol was teaching us rise up ah, blides rise up blides rise up blides rise up blides I feel like every time I say podcast uh, I'm somebody on a different place a different time um, yeah you sound like a kiwi the podcast uh, <laughs> but as as co-host it's been wonderful to to sit here in conversation with you uh, listening to Enrique listening to Arik. And just learning so much in, in my own podcast. It's been yeah. a, a real fun episode for me. And uh, and hopefully our, our listeners have, have learned. Hopefully those who know their mezcals have uh, have played along at home and, and we've, we've made good sense. Uh, we mm. haven't pulled too many things out of our butt. We have had Enrique <laughs> and Arik to, to keep us on the, the straight and narrow. But uh, yeah, this has been a, a ton of fun, Joshua, and I, I thank you for going down there. I thank you for representing me and our company. I'm sorry I missed it. While we're not reporting any emails this week, I, I do, again, want to just mention to people um, how they can get in touch with us. Uh, you can email us, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. You could Instagram us. We are at onenationunderwhiskey. You could send us a tweet through Twatterton, and that is at One Nation Whiskey. Or if you go to Facebook, go to the search bar, just type in One Nation Under Whiskey. You'll find both sort of our, our main page, but there's also a One Nation Under Whiskey Facebook group, which you feel, feel free to join and start some conversation, ask some questions, what have you. You can do that. And, and one thing I want to mention here as well is we're getting some really good feedback on iTunes. Awesome. You know, people putting in five stars, saying some nice things. Uh, we're at about 39 five-star reviews. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, which is nice. And we just ask that you continue doing that because it really does help people to find this podcast and and to get the word out. And and even if you don't do that, you know, just spread the word. Tell your friends. Uh, even if they don't listen to whiskey, maybe they just want to hear some fun conversation. If you feel it's something someone may like, pass the word on. Yep, second that. It's always lovely when um, when we get new listeners as um, recommendations by word of mouth. So yeah. that also works. But yeah, if you've been thinking about heading over to iTunes and, and spreading the love, please do. Um, I know... I know it's a pain in the arse. I, uh, I've got some favorite podcasts that I haven't written any reviews for and I keep meaning to. And uh, maybe as I see more I gotta, coming in from our listeners, I'll go do it. I got to tell you, it is not a pain in the arse. Oh, no, 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 I know. No, no, I know it's not a, I know it's not an, I know. I hear you. You just, you just go there, click, click, boom. If everybody was like Joshua, it would be a better place. You could say that again. 
I'm not going to say that again. I'm instead going to call this the end of the podcast. <laughs> cheers to Oaxaca. Uh, cheers to cheers the Mezcal. To cheers to the listeners. Arrivederci. <laughs> Hasta mañana, monsieur. Hasta